How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Wow. It shouldn't take this long. It shouldn't take this long. It shouldn't take this long. Welcome to the Weekend Update with Dave Dufour and Keith Parrish. Every Monday on The Athletic NBA Show. It did the same thing to me that it's intended to do to work. Ding, ding. I have access to information wow. that the public doesn't. And welcome to the Athletic NBA Show, the Daily Ding Sunday Night Weekend Update. I'm David Four here with Mo Keel for a little nerder style breakdown of the weekend's action. And Mo, we got to start with the game that just ended: the Phoenix Suns shooting the lights out again. Devin Booker somehow just made another shot, and I don't know what kind of run this guy is on. But after Friday night, 20 of 25, just a ridiculous shooting performance. Does it again, 14 of 18 from the field. 3 or 4 from 3, 36 points, hit 12 assists, Mo. This guy is ridiculous right now. I mean, if Jimmy Butler wasn't in the playoffs, he'd be the best player in the playoffs. Like, there's no question about it. I mean, just I just want to go over his playoff numbers, and I don't even know if it's updated for tonight, with tonight's game, because that game just ended. For 36.9 points, 60.2% from the field, 48.9% from 3 on 5.9 attempts. 6.9 assists, 5 rebounds, 2.1 steals, and 1 block a game. Dude's been freaking phenomenal! Yeah. I, look, like, we've it's been, just ridiculous. We've been singing his praises, you know, since the playoffs started, but it's the two-way play, Mo. It's not just the 36 points. It's the 40 minutes of lockdown defense on the other end. I mean, he, look, Jamal Murray's going to score. He had 28 in this game. He had a big game last game. But... What Devin Booker is doing to make it difficult is has I don't know if we can actually quantify it. I mean, it's just I mean, we can in the fact that it's just not efficient from Jamal Murray. I think like in game three, Murray, I felt like kind of shot the nuggets out of it to a degree. And I think like that's part of the the ball game and what we have in this. And I think even tonight, I think just Murray wasn't there, Um, you know, and I think you're 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 struggling to a degree. Murray with 28 points on 25 shots. It's not great, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's something that worries you. Yeah, and, you know, here's the other thing, Mo. When Murray isn't hitting his shots, it feels like he kind of gets a little bit, I'm not going to say tunnel vision, because that's, that's a bit much. He, he's not a ball hog, but he definitely is missing guys that are open. He's a beat late. I thought down the stretch, him he ran the pick and pop with Jokic on the play that where uh, Shamit sort of causes Jokic to lose the ball that ultimately decided the game. I thought he was a a couple of beats too late finding Jokic, who was wide open for a three. I think the he gets dribble happy yeah. is the way I would look at it. It's one or two extra dribbles to just somewhat greedy. Can I get let me let me one more dribble? Let me see if I can get okay. No, okay, wait, well, let's do one more. Oh, okay, no, now I gotta give it up. And I think that's kind of what happens, and it throws their beat off. And I feel like they make sometimes they're running their offense too much through him and not enough through Jokic. And I think that's the stuff that would kind of concern me with that but Dave we do you mentioned the magic name we have to mention it we have to start talking about him right now Landry Shamit was phenomenal okay I was like which one listen this game this game Mo was actually incredible like if the basketball in the third quarter just the shot making uh from both teams back and forth Jokic and Booker just just throwing like you know it was like it was like a heavyweight boxing match they they were returning fire Back and forth, and you mentioned they need to run the offense more through Jokic. He had thirty shots in this game. 
53 I, points and 11 assists, Mo. Like, he did everything he could, plus two in his 39 minutes. I know. It's wild that I'm like, yo, run everything for Jokic. And I'm like, 30 shots, not enough. You know, it's kind of silly in that sense. But I think it's a wild sense of, like, when you're watching it, you can just feel it on possession. And what I mean, just because you run the offense room doesn't mean the shot's coming from him. Now, the way the Suns are playing it, and I agree with this philosophy that they're doing on him, we're not going to double. We're not going to make it easy for him and things like that. So they, you have to tweak your offense a little bit, I think. Let him operate more at the elbow and and cut off of him and, and things like that. But I think it's one of those things where you can feel the difference where everybody else can get going. But Dave, I want to talk about Landry Shamit. Come on. We're, I want to talk about there. Landry Shamit. We're going there. Kevin Durant. 36 points, 12 of 13 from the line, 11 rebounds. Another tough game from the turnover perspective for Kevin Durant. Had five turnovers in this game. You know, he's do, you know, trying to do a little bit more playmaking out there. But the main beneficiary in this game was Landry Shamit, who essentially just went unguarded by the Nuggets and shot like it. Six of nine from the field, five of eight from three, 19 points. Do we owe Landry Shamit a huge apology or what? No, he's got to do it again, but I will give him this because, I, you know, I, I need – this is what he does, right? Landry Shamit can hit shots, but what I want to talk about with Shamit, and I'll apologize to him if he does this again in game two, he did a great job defensively. He battled and competed. Yeah, he gave up buckets from time to time. He got scored on a couple of times. You know, Jamal Murray posted him up a few times. I thought those were tough buckets from Murray in that position from Shamit. He was fighting. And if that's what you're going to get from Landon Shamit, you got to be super excited in terms of for the Suns because this can be a, you need that shooting. You need that guy to make the Suns hesitate in terms of their rotations and, or excuse me, the Nuggets hesitate in terms of their defensive rotations. But I do need to hit the Nuggets here for a second a, on, on the negative side of it. I don't understand doubling one pass away. They gave up too many times shots to KD wide open by doubling and then basically one pass away. Don't double off of Kevin Durant. Not when Josh Kogi's on the floor. What are you doing? Or Landry Shamit. Help off Landry. No, no, no. Who cares? Don't double yeah. off Landry now. He's he's still on fire. Don't double off. He can't go in his car right now. He's gonna blow the damn thing up. He's so hot. Uh, got a you know a funny note for that I just noticed. I was looking at the box score. One twenty nine. One twenty four is the final score. Neither team attempted thirty threes in this game. It, it was twenty nine to twenty two in threes, which in and of itself is a problem for the Nuggets, but pretty amazing the scoring and, the, and shooting in this game. I mean, this has just been absolutely electric basketball. Uh, a good question from Mac for a better tomorrow. Was Jokic conditioning why he had back-to-back bad plays to cost him the game? I, look, um, guys playing 40 minutes a night, took 30 shots. I mean, I just think it's uh, he's a human being, and they tend to fatigue after a, a huge amount of workload. I mean, this guy is a highly conditioned athlete. Like, he's in pretty good shape. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think it was conditioning. I think some of it you touched. You touched upon the uh, the Murray was too slow to get him the ball, yeah. and the other one he just missed a layup. Yeah. Like I think, you know, it was a good it's, contest it's, from T.J. Warren. I thought he came over the ca- top, didn't hit him, came over late and whatnot. Now I have questions of why you're going for a two in that situation. And shout out our colleague Seth Part. Now everybody text Seth Seth Part now right now. Quack two. He loves actually, it when you do I, that. I will defend Jokic there. I think he wanted the three. When the defense came out, he just tried to get the quick basket. So I think the, the play was designed to go for three. Now, there was a controversial moment in this game, and I think we need to talk about it. Um, 
late in the second quarter, ball goes in the stands and, and Jokic goes over and tries to re- retrieve the ball so that he can get the ball and, and start the play. Josh Okogie's laying down. He's tangled up with the cameraman, tangled up with fans. And Jokic, he wants to get the ball and get it moving. Suns new governor, team governor, Matt Ishbia, has the ball in his hands. And for some reason, Mo, he's cradling this thing and will not let Jokic have it. A scuffle ensues. Um, Ishbia catches a, a very small nudging elbow from Jokic, flops hilariously. Uh, another fan is kicked out, not not Matt Ishbia, and Jokic is assessed a technical foul. Um, it was weird. I, you know, on the broadcast, they're saying, well, maybe he's going to get suspended. He better not get suspended. No way. He better not get suspended. Uh, but what I want to know, Mo, is why didn't the Phoenix Suns get assessed a technical? Yeah, I mean, at least a delay a game, right? Like right. your your own your own owner is is holding the ball, or even if your home fan base is doing that, it should be considered a delay a game in that instance. I think ultimately the um, I thought it was lame. Yeah, from Ishbia to be honest with you, or whatever. And I know Suns fans are probably going to be on the other side of it. Fair enough. That's you're going to root for your guy and all that. I just thought it was lame. All right, cool. Just give him the ball. Like give it to the ref. You don't have to give it to Jokic. But give it to the ref. Don't do the thing where like you're a player and trying to hide away from it. This isn't uh, Michigan State. You're not playing for Tom Izzo anymore and things like that. Just give him the damn ball. And he should be fined for the flop. We need to skip the straight letter and fine him for the flop because, God damn, that was, it was awful. It was awful. It was really funny. Okay, let's go to the early game because the 76ers have evened up the series with the Celtics after the dud of a game that they threw together in game three, especially James Harden. He came back with a vengeance, Bo. 42 points from James Harden and another game-winning three. This one in overtime. The Sixers beat the Celtics 116-115. So it seems that the recipe for success for the Sixers against the Celtics, James Harden needs to score at least 42 points and be prepared to hit clutch threes. That's it. Is that is that what we're at right now? I don't even know if that's the case for the recipe for them. It's more just he's going to do this after two bad games. <laughs> so just just be games five and six bad. They can get to game seven. Yay! <laughs> like, I think that's kind of the hope for them in that instance. I think, he, listen, he was phenomenal. There's no question about it. Like, the way he played, this is what we saw in game one. This is the stuff where you're like, wow, okay, this is James Harden hooping, and this is what they need. In a lot of that stuff. And I think that's the uh, the the guy they're going to need in game five and game six. Like, there's just no question about it. But we should note, the game should not have gone to overtime, Mo. The, the Celtics outscored the Sixers 24-15 to 15 in the fourth quarter. And, and this is another blown lead for the 76ers. And this is sort of the Doc Rivers coaching thing, right? Like, they just tend to blow leads late. And I thought down the stretch in this one, all of their good stuff came from James Harden having the ball in his hands. He just w- was outplaying every single other player on the court, even Joel Embiid, who himself, if you know, you look at the box score, you see, you know, he put up his numbers 34 points, 13 rebounds, 12 of 15 from the line. It was a solid game from him on the offensive end. Uh, but I thought on the defensive end, he looked a little bit slow. Meanwhile, Harden, you know, Four steals in this game. Big one down the stretch and in overtime, you know, makes big plays the whole night. And I wonder, Mo, if this isn't a scenario where they need to go more to Harden rather than trying to play inside out with Embiid. I mean, the the Embiid-Harden pick and roll, we've long thought that that was like their superpower. 
Uh, saw a little bit more of that in this game. Yeah, I think the um, I I I think that's a game to game decision. If Embiid's rolling well in the paint and 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 post ups and things like that, or on the isolations at the free throw line, you go with that. They have that luxury. They can go play that way or go with the pick and roll and whatnot and kind of feel these things out. Because listen, James hasn't been consistent. Like you can't bank on this. We saw what he looked like in game three at home. It was terrible. It was another one of those games where you're like, oh man, James Harden disappears again. What are we going to do? You you can't bank on him in that way. So I'll be fascinated with that stuff. Embiid struggling, I think, just with the injury and fatigue and whatnot. It's, it's the same old, same old for him in the playoffs. I'm not surprised with that. You know, it puts up big numbers, but on defense, it's hard, man. And it's hard when you're carrying that offensive weight to then have to be the anchor defensively. And I think that's the challenge for him. Yeah, for the Celtics, you know, it was a matter of getting a slow start from the jump. You know, they, they're they down eight after the first quarter, and then they get going late, but it's just too late. And, it, you know, we talk about how slow they are sometimes to get into their offense. It really feels like the third quarter goes slow for them, and they actually had a, a decent scoring third quarter. But they don't turn on the Jets until about six minutes to go. And even then, it feels like sometimes they just hesitate to get into their stuff. You know, you go into overtime – they're not really running plays. It's it's a lot of isolation. It's you know Jason Tatum who got away with a with a hell of an offensive foul uh, late in the fourth quarter to you know to help get him into overtime. Um, it's frustrating to watch sometimes, Mo. But when Malcolm Brogdon's out there, when Derek White's out there, usually they have better stuff happening with their offense. Yeah, I think it's just more importantly, what is their offense? I mean, no, honestly, like what is it? I look at the Warriors, I know what their offense is. A lot of motion stuff, a lot of let's find opportunities for guys. You get a uh, um, pick and roll with Steph Curry if you're lucky, and then that's kind of the deal and you're rolling with it. When you when you when We understand what the Nuggets do offensively and it's power through Jokic. Listen, we know what the Suns are going to do. They're a little hurt, but it's KD and Booker right now. Celtics should be very Tatum and Brown-centric, and they should be rolling with that stuff, but they got to get them stuff on the move and in motion and whatnot. And they don't do a lot of that sometimes. They they honestly waffle back and forth between just one-on-one isolation stuff and then running some good offense. And I think it's just they got to figure out who they are and what they need to do. And I think that's kind of their their issues. And that's a problem. They ha- Listen. You can't have identity had- problems at this point. But not even that. They haven't looked that good in the playoffs. Are you impressed by that? I'm not. Like I watched them. I'm just not impressed by them. It's easy to just not believe in them. Um, They don't have a bread and butter that they go to. And with Rob Williams not looking like the time Lord, they don't have that, that huge upside that I, that carried them to the finals last year. So uh, I don't know. I mean, this is uh, if Embiid can just get right on the defensive end, start to give the edge to the Sixers. If, if Harden's going to have, you know, if Harden has two bad games coming up, just, uh, I'll eat crow on that. I, I just feel like they've figured something out in this game, especially late. Just put the ball in Harden's hands, let him get to work, and make good stuff happen. Uh, let's move to Saturday night. Oh, 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 oh you're not done. I'm not done yet. No, I no, no. I, my... I got one more thing, okay? And this is an important thing here because we do have to talk about the end of this game in overtime. And I think that is also extremely important because it also highlights how bad they are defensively. I mean, excuse me, just how bad they are offensively at the end of games. First off, they give up a corner three to James Harden. They are up two. Just 
I don't understand at all why Jalen Brown is coming in to help an Embiid. A three kills you. A two just ties the ball game. And you have the ball, you get to go to over, uh, double overtime. Worst case scenario. And I just think it's a massive mistake. He comes pulling in. Great pass from Embiid to Harden, who drills the three to put them up one. Now, I agree, and this is very rare. I agreed with Joe Mazzula not calling the timeout. Okay? Brings the ball up the court. But I hate, hate the pace in which the, uh, excuse me, the Celtics brought the ball up the court. They brought it up slowly. They walked around with no urgency whatsoever. With like 18 seconds on the clock, they were playing for it as if they were tied or up one. They needed to play with this because at the worst case scenario, if you get a miss, you have your timeouts, you can extend the game here. You needed to play with urgency here. And this was the more shocking thing, Dave. They get a made three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason Tatum drives down the lane. He had a, I thought he, he might have had a chance at a layup. Kicks it out to Marcus Smart. He drills a three. Unfortunately, because they were slow as hell with everything that they did, it was a tenth of a second late. Time expired. You can't have that. And people, it's poor end of game management. And people want to say to me, that's not on Joe Mazzula. I wouldn't have called the timeout. I think it would have let the Sixers put better defenders on the floor. But the problems that they've had all year in crunch time, that's on Missoula. And it showed right there in this instance in, in, in that play. And that's a massive mistake from this team. Yeah, and that's another difference, by the way. When Philly is rolling, they're getting they're crossing the half-court line at 20 seconds left on the shot clock, and Boston consistently is walking it up 16, 17 seconds crossing. Um, they just don't have time to get into anything. I mean, they, you know, this has sort of been the, our pet peeve with this team now for multiple coaches. So, you know, you get into a point where you start wondering if it's the players and not the coaches. So, uh, all right, let's move to Saturday now. And the Battle of California, the Los Angeles Lakers just smoked the Warriors 127 to 97. And Mo, is it safe to say through three games in this series, Anthony Davis has been by far the best player? No. He wasn't good in game two, Dave. If you're going to say he's by far the best player, you got to be good in all three games. He was not good in game two. And if history has shown throughout these entire he's gonna be playoffs, bad in game four. he's going to be bad in game four. So you got to just kind of deal with that. I think that's the uh, 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 situation. Yeah. And I think that's, that's that's so you can't say he's been the best player, you're, but you're when right. he but when he is right, and when they're trying to find offense for him on the move, he is the best player on the court, and I think that's been the difference in games one and three. He was getting opportunities on the move, and they were finding him with stuff, and there were plays where like LeBron hits him with a back cut in the corner, you know, with him in the corner, but it's him finding stuff coming off down screens and playing around and getting stuff off the moves. When it's stationary, it's a problem. It plays into the hand of the Warriors defensively, and I think that works in their favor, and I think that's what we need to see in Game 4. Yeah, 25 points, 13 rebounds, 3 steals, 4 blocks. The defensive end for Anthony Davis, I mean, he's just been incredible the entire playoffs. I mean, you say he had a bad game in Game 2. I I don't think on the defensive end he had had a bad game. The guy has just been incredibly impactful and has owned the paint against the Warriors, who, you know, it's Crushing their offense, not being able to score inside, not getting those back cuts. A little bit better as far as the points in the paint in this game. You know, they only got outscored by two in this game, so maybe they're figuring something out. This is a game that I think historically, game three going back to L.A., I mean, that's a tough game for the Warriors to win anyway. Is that all this was? I mean, listen, it's... 
it's the Warriors, dude. Like, how worried are like we? They're awful we, on the road. We freaked out when they went down 0-2 against Sacramento. It's over. It's over. The sky is falling. All of that stuff. And then we've just kind of said, okay, they they win it in Game Seven on the road. Win Game Five on the road. Win Game Seven on the road. This is a team you can't count out. I honestly just think like, all right, it was a bad game for them. I think offensively, they they went away again from what works best for them. Make the Lakers have to defend you in the pick and roll, and they blew it. LeBron James didn't take a shot in the first quarter of this game, Mo. I mean, a lot has been made about him sort of taking a reduced role in the offense. He can hang out in the corner a lot. Late game initiation is sometimes Austin Reeves. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell had a huge game, 21 points, five threes in this game. Is he just biding his time, you think? Like, when they're rolling, he's just... Okay, I'm just going to take a back seat, picking his spots. Are, are we watching him just, is he playing five-dimensional chess on us? No, we're giving him too much credit. I think what's really happening is we're seeing the torch actually being handed to Anthony Davis. And I mean it in the sense of like, hey, man, LeBron knows he can't take over an entire game. There's going to be times where LeBron's going to show up and take over a segment of a game, maybe even a full quarter. But I think he understands that. And I think more we're more likely seeing the the handing off of, all right, man, in, in the words of Sean Connery from that terrible movie, Finding Forrester, you're the man now, dog. Like, this is, uh, I hope he hasn't been canceled or anything like that. Um, oh, yeah. But it's, it's, it's like kind of that stuff where he's ha- handing it off to him. And I think that's more what we're seeing in that sense. And yeah, LeBron's resting. And when the time's right, LeBron's going to go off. But... You know, he can only do it because AD has to be great. I also thought, uh, I think that some of this is, he is applying a lot of uh, of his effort on rim protection for them. I mean, him and Anthony Davis owning the paint, like that's a real thing. I mean, AD has been incredible, but LeBron's rim protection has also been great, especially in this series. When he chooses to. There are, there are definitely yeah. times oh, in yeah. game two where he didn't rotate. But I also want to say this, because Kerr got a lot of love for the Jermichael Green move in game two. And he stuck with it in game three. And this is just the thing about role players across the board in every playoff series. That's why I'm not going to give Landry Shamit too much love. You got to repeat the performance. and he, Jermichael Green just simply did not. Um, and I think that's the important thing uh, to that mattered in that sense. That they couldn't space the floor out with that stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, we, we had another game on Saturday, the Miami Heat. They torched the Knicks 105 to 86. The Knicks' offense was just bad. Jimmy Butler, though, pretty damn good. This guy comes back from a high ankle sprain. He misses game two. And he puts up 28 points. Uh, I think we've kind of run out of good stuff to say about Jimmy Butler. Yeah, no, he's just a pure psychopath. The ankle looked fine. Then he dinged it again a little bit in this game, so it was a little bit worrying some. But uh, just the, let's just start with the Knicks. What are you doing on offense? We I've killed the Celtics. What the hell are you guys doing on offense? Like this is <laughs> it's all isolation heavy, no movement. Everything's just super tough and stagnant in everything that they do. I'm yelling at them just cut. Cut for the love of God, somebody move and they don't. And it just becomes so easy for the the Heat to actually defend that I'm not surprised it turned out the way that game turned out. Okay, but Mo, this is how they got here. They've been an ISO-heavy team. We've talked about it quite a bit. This offense that they had, I mean, it was really predicated on just ridiculous shot-making by Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. And we know that in the playoffs sometimes, you know, the faucet gets turned off. 
And they are dealing with some injuries there. Like Julius Randle's hurt. Jalen Brunson got, you know, has that ankle issue uh, and quickly actually got hurt in this game. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know why anyone really expected this to translate come playoff time, uh, especially against a team like Miami. Like isolation basketball is just not going to work, especially Mo. They, they're going at Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They're putting them in that. They're not attacking weaknesses. They're going at their, the best defenders for the Miami Heat. It doesn't really make any sense. Unless Jimmy Butler has a sprained ankle. Then they're not going at him. But the um, <laughs> right. I, I think it goes back to this, and this is the more important thing. We love offensive rating. Oh, God, top five offensive rating. It's amazing. But we never sometimes look at the actual offense. And that's a very difficult offense to translate to in the playoffs. Because it's so heavy and specific. So now you're just dependent on these isolation plays. And it's extremely hard. And if a guy's not going right, Randall missing games, his ankle's banged up, he's a little hurt and whatnot. If you're not rolling right, you're put yourself in a difficult situation. And now you're, you're trying to figure out how to win without your main offense working. I think that's the biggest thing with all the stuff that we have going on in this series right now. And, I mean, hell, man, the Knicks are going to have to figure out what they're going to do offensively and have some sort of just movement, just one cut behind it. And I think everything opens up. Yeah, I mean, run any play. And, and you know, Julius Randle in this game was 4 of 15, um, 10 points, 14 rebounds, just ineffective. Uh, Dribble. I mean, we know he dribbles too much. Um, But I I feel like you want to talk about a guy that gets dribble happy. Julius Randle will dribble for 14 seconds in a possession and then basically throw someone a ticking time bomb at, at the end of the shot clock. So that's the I, I'm Knicks just, offense. <laughs> that's it. You just described the Knicks offense. Be ready to shoot. Uh, you know, I, you got anything else on this game? I, I really do think that the Miami Heat are just at this point, like it's just the strategy's better. Um, they This is a game they did not shoot the ball well, uh, which has been one of the weird things about the playoffs is that the Heat, you know, have had so many really great shooting performances so far. But they, they did not shoot well. They shot 38% uh, percent and 22%. Um, they just absolutely crushed everything the Knicks were trying to do. Because everything the Knicks did was just one guy trying to do something. I, I don't get it. Yeah, no. Um, I think when I look at it from the Heat, I thought Bam played a great game. I thought Bam was great. The numbers aren't blow you out the door wild, 17 points and, and, and whatnot. But like I thought he was just strong and aggressive in that sense. And when you get aggressive Bam, it goes a long way for the Heat. And just my last, last note for this is just, I told y'all this was going to be an ugly series. It was going to be entertaining, but ugly as hell. And when you get to the fourth quarter and it is 16 and 18 points scored in the fourth quarter, that is everything that was promised to y'all. Ugly ass basketball, but going to be entertaining. We even had a little scuffle that ended up not really being a thing, but we had a mini little vintage Miami Knicks scuffle, so maybe we could get a little more rivalry and a little more tension in Game 4. Yeah, I do like this uh, 90s throwback. It was like the Knicks and Cavs. That was one of the ugliest series. You know, the the scores, they ended like when I was a kid. It was great. Uh, I did a little bit nostalgic for when guys couldn't actually play offense. Uh, That's going to do it for today's show, folks. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in on YouTube. Remember, we're broadcasting every single night our post-game daily ding all week long, all playoffs long, and, uh, you know, come and join us and hang out. For Moda Keel, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been the Daily Ding on the Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding.